listening to New Layer, a design podcast with Tanner Christensen and Jasmine Friedel. What do you do when you're wrong? I'm never wrong. That's fair. All right. End of episode. <laughs> no. Uh, this is an interesting topic for a lot of reasons. One reason that I think came up not long ago. In fact, it was in our last episode. One week ago. We we talked about being wrong on this podcast. Yes. Which, if you're just tuning in for the first time, you may be surprised to learn we are occasionally wrong. Okay, just occasionally though. Yeah, thankfully we're not always wrong. And what I mean by that is sometimes we'll recount a story or we'll uh, say some some fact or something, we'll reference a book, we'll, we'll quote someone we know, and we'll get the details of those things wrong. Uh, or, or we'll have an opinion on something mm-hmm. and feel pretty strongly about it. And then sometimes either that opinion might not prove to be wrong or prove to be right, or we might actually change our minds ourselves. Ooh, yes. And counter ourselves. That's the thing about Whoa. opinions or things that you say on a Beliefs. recorded medium, such as <laughs> podcasting or Twitter. Uh, you open the world to these thoughts, these ideas, these concepts, and occasionally you find out that your small little perspective of the world is not super correct or you misremembered something or you know you made a mistake. So... We are very familiar with being wrong, but mm-hmm. what about in your career? Uh, you don't have to give any examples necessarily, but have there been times in your career where you're like, ah, oh, I was definitely wrong there? You know, I'm going to be honest. Nothing specific comes to mind because I'm probably wrong at least once a day on mm. something or, right. or other. Yeah, I definitely can relate to that as well. I I know I can, I can think of many instances where I've been explicitly wrong about something and I would say for the vast majority of times that I'm thinking of in my mind, it's never like, okay, I'm pushing for this direction or I have this opinion or I'm saying something. And then like within the span of like five minutes, it's like, oh, you're wrong. It's usually like a day later, two days later, something happens and I'm like, oh, dang, I was wrong. And I think those moments are a little bit more humbling than the ones where you're like in a moment and immediately wrong uh, because, you know, time has passed. If you're in a group setting, you've shared something. Then, sorry if you can hear our dogs barking in the background. Dogs barking. Uh, those moments are just a little bit harder because, like, if you've shared that opinion or perspective or you know whatever publicly, now time has passed and you have to kind of like backtrack. And it's mm-hmm. uh, it can be very humbling to to step in front of a group and say I was wrong. Okay, but that's exactly what I want to talk about in this episode today. What to do when you are wrong? Like we just said, we are we are occasionally wrong ourselves. What do you do when you're wrong? I mean, maybe there's a first step, which is like, how do you know when you're wrong? Mm. I would love to hear your response to that. My my gut reaction was uh, just always assume that you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's like the things that you can be wrong on. You can be wrong on um, a direction. Like we should absolutely do this as a next step or we should solve this problem in this UI in this way. Like I've seen it before. It's worked. Let's do this. And then you might, you know take that direction or ship something and it might not get the results you want. And then you have to say, okay, well maybe that direction was faulty and you have to investigate and understand, was it faulty? Was it the right, you know, test group? Was it the right sample size? Was there something else that was causing 
metrics to go down? Like what are in speaking? I mean, none of these are really connecting, but you know, there's, there's many reasons that this thing could have been wrong and isolate, isolating it down to like the actual cause and effect, I think is really helpful. There could be other things that you're wrong on. Um, like maybe that, that first example is like rational, logical data-based, uh, I think, um, yeah, and I, I'm thinking correction. about like execution. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So like one way that you can tell if you're ever wrong is like, well, just look at the results. Did you have an objective, and did you achieve that objective, or mm-hmm. did you have some kind of goal or end state in mind, and did that happen or not? And if mm-hmm. it didn't happen, that's very obvious and very clear to say, oh, I was wrong, right? Yep. There are other instances or other kind of ways of being wrong, though, right? Wrong, right? <laughs> wrong, comma correct. There's the uh, the opinion based one, which is not founded on like objectable measures. So things like processes are a good example here where you have like a team that's functioning in a certain way and someone on the team says, oh, I think we should actually be functioning in this other way. Mm -hmm. Whereas maybe some other people on the team don't agree. Now, like who's right, quote unquote, or who's wrong? Mm -hmm. It's hard to say. Yep. Yeah. Should our design team be centralized or should it be embedded? Mm -hmm. Who's right? Who's wrong? Um, There was one other. so So one is sort of like product that we're looking at. One might be, you know, process. And then there was one that, um, hmm. So there's product, there's process. There's perhaps like, um, I don't know. I think we make a lot of career choices too that are like, I made the wrong career choice or I made the right career choice. Um, I gave advice to a a mentee that didn't work out for them. Was I wrong? There's one other uh, sort of category that I was thinking of, though, that I, of course, have just blanked on, and it will come back to me. <laughs> was it around people specifically? Like, Yeah, it, it might have been. Mm. Well, if it comes back. I'm trying to think of, like, you know, what are the meetings I'm in? That's peanut butter barking, by the way. She's, <laughs> she's, she's loud. She is a puppy. She would like a guest appearance on the podcast, and she has one right now. Um, so I'm trying to think of the meetings I'm in, like, what are the kinds of things we discuss every day? Um, I think there's process things, which we've talked about, which are the approach, how you approach something. Should I do it my way? Should I do it somebody else's way? Um, and then I think there's the, the solution things like I can, I could, you know, get a solution, uh, something I've designed. It could not solve the problem. So I think those are like a good collection of things. If we think of sort of like inputs or foundations, approaches, and then solutions, Um, and then of course there's the, uh, all the people stuff where, you know, you could direct somebody wrong or, or, you know, communicate something wrong. But I think that's a good body of stuff to start with. Right. So there's the TLDR too long. Didn't read too long. Didn't listen, uh, is (laughs) that there are a lot of ways to be wrong. In fact, odds are, as you said earlier, Jasmine, more than not, you're, you're going to be wrong. On a daily yeah, basis in yeah, some way. Yeah. And we were saying like what to do when you're wrong. I think it's actually first helpful to say like, hey, did I input the information wrong? Did I approach it wrong? Or did I just execute it wrong? Right. Well, this leads into the the kind of first part we were starting yeah. to get into, which is, well, how do you know when you're wrong? Yeah. So with the like analytical data, the goal driven kind of uh, objective that you might have, that's a pretty glaringly easy way to tell when you're wrong. Some of these other things, though, I think it requires a little bit different approach to know whether or not you're wrong. One is by having good relationships with those you're working with where they can constructively help point out when, when you've done something wrong or when the data you've used has been incorrect. Mm-hmm. 
it looks like you're thinking deeply about this. I'm thinking about like the top, keep going. <laughs> um, like what other ways uh, you know that you're wrong? Someone can tell you. Uh, another thing that we talk about often on this podcast, which I think is is really important to bring up like, yet again in this context, is self-reflection. Are you journaling? Are you documenting kind of your thoughts and your process on things so that you can reflect back on them and acknowledge when you're, you might be wrong yourself? Right. So like one, one is other people might feel that you're wrong or result, results feel like results come out and the thing didn't work. Mm-hmm. Other people might feel you're wrong or you might feel you're wrong. Right. Uh, some small thing that I don't think we'll have time to get into right now, but I just want to point out is that instance where someone thinks you might be wrong, but you might not be. Yeah. Well, and I think this gets into like, when are you wrong? Are you wrong when the, the word, you know, the ever, the thing comes out of your mouth or the solution is shared? Are you wrong, you know, as you're developing that, whether it's a process, a collection of inputs or a solution, or are you wrong only at the end when something doesn't work? Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, I have to say like being wrong is, (coughs) you're right. You got a little cough there. I'm fine. Uh, we're all for these, uh, sound disruptions today. Let's just go with it. That's all right. It's one of those days. It is. Being wrong is something that I am very, how do I word that? What's the right word for this? I appreciate. I appreciate that. For example, I think I've tweeted this out before. I appreciate that I can work in a place, in a, in a business, in a team, in a culture where being wrong is not bad. It's not yeah. really shunned or taboo it's it's something that you do on the path to knowledge and learning and improving and doing the right thing right if you're not wrong if you are always seeking to be right or to be neutral and not really have an opinion because you don't want to be wrong you're not growing you're not going to be pushing the the things that you need to push in the product and your team to make change yeah let's actually go in and talk a little bit about like what you know being wrong is sort of like assuming you were going to be right and something didn't work Right. Whether it's like your opinion, your opinion was not correct. It caused um, debate and then you sort of lost or you shipped something and it didn't work. Like whatever it is, like you had high confidence in something and it did not work out the way you intended. I'll give an example. Tell me. I have so many examples from my own life, but one that sticks out to me is we were, excuse me, at my current job, we were working on a, a new feature for users and it was something that I, I feel I had seen before in numerous products I've built before. So I, I went to the team. I was like, look, here's the solution. Let me quickly design it, prototype it for you. Let's build this out. I have full confidence that this is the thing to design. And so it was pretty simple. I think it was something like a menu in our app or something. Uh, the team built it. They trusted me with it. We, we rolled it out. And almost right away, we started getting feedback from customers emailing our support team saying, this makes no sense to me. What is this menu? I don't understand why you would do this. This feels like really complex. That hurt initially. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, I, I'm so confident. This is like a conventional pattern. Users should understand what to do with this. And they just didn't get it. And we got a lot of emails. So the very first thing that I want to say that we did in this instance was we didn't even talk about it as a team. We didn't say like, oh, that was a bad decision. We didn't do a retrospective. Instead, we said, well, how do we fix this? What is the right solution now mm-hmm. that we know this one's wrong? So I think the team just quickly worked on like a, a next evolution of that thing really quickly. I almost like a day turnaround. We launched the update and those emails stopped. And then that was the end of it. And it's interesting to go back to that and say like, well, what was the harm done here? 
I mean, or what was, what was the, what were the repercussions? It sounds like, you know, you ship something and it didn't really meet a need. And so therefore there was an implication there, but also maybe your ego hurt a little bit. Yes. I, here's the thing that I think matters the most. And what I really hope we can talk about in answering the question, what to do when you are wrong. So in this case, again, we, we worked together as a team, we fixed the issue and apparently it was resolved. Users were now happy. We felt like we could roll this out to a larger audience, et cetera. And yeah, you know, my ego was like, ah, dang, I can't believe I was wrong about this thing that I was so confident in. Right. We could have ended it there, but what I think really happened is on the back end of everybody's minds, there's this little bit of a hint hit that says, Hey, Tanner is sometimes wrong, even when he thinks he's right. So it's, it's, um, it's kind of, uh, breaking down your, um, expertise or your reputation as that's right. Yeah. I would say, yeah, I would say at some level, the trust is broken slightly. Yeah. So, and and I mean, I think that if we could like quickly go over, you know, what are the benefits to being right? Benefits to being right are you build up a reputation. Um, benefits of being right might be, or at least, sorry, maybe having confidence that, cause I'm assuming that being right means that you come into something with confidence that you have the mm-hmm. right thing. And so I'm thinking like, what does confidence do? Well, it helps you make decisions. There's nothing worse than, you know, a culture where no one wants to make decisions and you just kind of sit right. and like, and there's up- tons of companies where you'll like work, you, you know, you'll sort of like do this, this like pre-work of trying to align everybody and there'll be no decision maker or nobody's really opinionated. And so you'll just talk about something for months to a year without even actually going and trying and figuring out if you might be wrong. Okay. I want to pause you there because I totally agree. This spinning of the wheels is something I see come up on a lot of teams. Oh yeah. And it's, it's kind of easy to notice when it's happening because again, you'll feel like you're, you're moving forward, but at an extremely slow pace. And when you step back and look at where the team is moving, it's like, well, we haven't actually really moved at all. We're doing all this work, but nothing is shipping. Nothing's moving forward. Yeah. And the easiest remedy for that is just a decision maker. Yeah. Well, and, and there's, there's usually two things. There's no one who's stepping forward with the confidence of being right. And I, I don't even think that's an ego thing being right. I think it's like, I think this is the right pathway for us. Mm-hmm. Or there's, you know, multiple parties who think they're right or have that confidence and they're trying to debate. And so in that case, probably everybody is not right. And that gets more into the like, you know, who's more right or who do, who do we want to test out and see if they're wrong? Um, but I, I think I, one outcome of this conversation that I would love not to have is folks being like, Oh, I'm too scared to be right. Like I need to be neutral or I need to be like more flexible. And then no one is actually driving. So I think uh, that confidence, there's a pro to that, to driving. There's a personal, um, thing to being right. Like the more, the more sort of wins you rack up, the more you, you become an expert. And you know, that's, that's really fantastic. Like, especially if you're interviewing and you're saying, you know, Hey, I've been at these many companies and I've shipped this many projects and I put the strategy together and I was right. Like it worked out. And so that's like, that's a good thing. But then there's the flip side for, you know, how many times can you be wrong? What's the, what do you want to, I mean, what does that give to you? And there's a couple things from that too. It's like, you know, the more times you're you know, you actually can take risks if you take like being right and being willing to be wrong. That can build up a lot of learnings. Um, when we think about like how we ship, if we ship to learn, um, and that's like just, you know, basically putting products out and getting feedback from users or understanding how they affect our metrics, that can actually build up a, 
a body of insights. And, and a lot of um, cultures and companies are afraid to let their people take risks in case they're wrong. But risks actually play an important role in product development. Um, there's also pieces to being wrong. It helps you build your, your sort of humility and your understanding of you know, how to communicate and how to make decisions. And so there's lots of learning opportunities to being wrong um, that I, I think we also need to embrace. Yeah, no? Yes. Yes. Quite a bit. I agree with everything you said. And this is why, I mean, this is kind of my personal mantra on the subject. I think we should all strive to not be correct and right in everything we do, nor should we strive to be wrong, but we should strive to have confidence in a direction and a willingness to accept when we are wrong, right? What's that famous, it might be like a Jeff Bezos thing or something. It's like uh, strongly strong opinions loosely held. I don't know who that comes from. I think that's Bezos, but I mean, who knows? We could be wrong. (laughs) Yes. But I I think that's the same mantra that I have and that I, I think most people, especially designers should try to pursue strong opinions, loosely held meaning. Yeah, go ahead. You have to have a strong opinion about a direction, about a path forward. You have to take action and move. You can't just be idle. Right. So, you know, you come up with a dozen designs, you present them all and you say, my opinion is that this one or this up two of the 12 or whatever you're showing are what we should pursue. Mm-hmm. Loosely held means, but I could be wrong and yep. I'm open to that. Yep. So we're going to go forward on this path. I feel confident in this. I, I'm putting my my reputation more or less on the line, my humility. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and if it's wrong, that's okay. I am open to that fact, but I really think this is what we should do. I, I think it's that's really interesting and I use that a lot. Um I, so when you think about like, how, how do you put forward strong opinions? I think there's really two ways to do that. One is to say, or a strong opinion loosely held. One is just to say like, this is a, this is my, my best opinion. I feel pretty confident in it, but as I learn more, like I'm, I'm open to that being changed and just just say it explicitly. I think that's a, a very good way to do it. Um, something else in that line is, you know, there are things that you are a driver on and you need to have opinions and you need to lead. There are things that you'll be a contributor on and you have opinions, but your opinion won't be the, the deciding factor. And one thing I've seen cause a lot of conflict in organizations is when there's opinionated people who aren't decision makers and debate for the sake of debate rather than um, debate for the sake of progress. And so one just quick, quick thing that um, I've used before is um, I used to work with somebody who wanted who liked to debate a lot, and it we found it took up a, a lot of time in meetings to work through all of these strong opinions loosely held, and we really actually had to find out what what the value of those opinions was. And so we did, we called it fist to five. And so basically, we we were in person then, and you'd say, well, how much does this opinion matter to you, fist to five? And you know, you'd hold up zero as a fist, or you know, one, two, three, four, five fingers, because if it was five, it was worth having a debate. But if it was a one, it was a, you know, I don't know what it, that is. It's like 100 divided by six. I was trying to come up with a percentage. It's a low percentage of care for a lot of strong opinion. And so just trying to figure out, like, I have a strong opinion. I really don't care that much about it. Or I have a strong opinion. I really want you to consider this. Um, I think that actually, that sort of formula of strength of opinion plus how much it matters helps people, especially if it's, you know, somebody that's reporting to you and you might, they might feel like it's direction, but you're actually just sort of, you know, Hey, I have an opinion that we've used before, but you go off and do your own thing. 
or if it's, you know, you're going to your bosses and saying, you know, I really feel like we should do it this way. And, you know, I want to know if you have any strong opinions or just light opinions. So I think there's, it, it's useful to understand how, you know, strong opinions, how much, how much you should incorporate them. So I think there's sort of like this explicit, when you have strong opinions, how do you sort of like make sure that it, you're explicit that their opinions, how strong they are, how much they matter, and then how, you know, wh- what it would take to change them or how, how flexible they are. And then the other way is, I think you and I do this very often is just like you build confidence through tone. And so that could be saying something like, you know, Tanner, you brought me this direction and I really think you need to go back to the drawing board and try X, Y, and Z. And so I may be coming in with some verbal confidence where I'm showing you that I have a really strong opinion. And in my mind, I might be saying, you know, but prove me wrong or counter me or, um, you know, when you bring those back, maybe you're going to come back to the first one, but unless I sort of make that explicit, the tone of my voice might, might come across as a strong opinion, strongly held. And so I think there's, there's things that we can do to make sure that we're making that sort of loosely held piece loose. And I'll give you, I'll give you one practical example. I was working with, um, one of my uh, senior designers, Christina on Friday, and we were workshopping a strategy and I was, I had done some pre-work and I came in and I was like, okay, so we're going to do this phased approach and, you know, I'm really excited about it. And, you know, we're going to do this phase one, two, three, four. And I caught myself because I was in such an energized and sort of loud voice that I realized as someone who reports to somebody who reports to me, I might be giving very strong opinions that feel strongly held. And so I had to say to her, you know, disregard the tone of my voice. I'm just energized about this, but I want this to be collaborative and I want you to come back at me with opinions. And so I think there's sort of this, this is a a long way of saying, like, I think there's ways to show that you have strong opinions loosely held. One is explicit and one is implicit. And I think this, the explicit path works better End scene because it's explicit because it's explicit. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, and I think the way that I try to encourage this in my own team is through culture. And culture, mm-hmm. again, is yeah. what you repeatedly do as a team. It's not necessarily what you talk about doing or what you have rituals that, that are established around, but it's how you regularly show up as a group. And so what I've tried to instill in my team is that I'm going to have strong opinions. Just by my nature, I'm very loud and opinionated. I have a lot of opinions on most everything. But I also am very keenly aware that a lot of those opinions are going to be wrong. They're based on limited information. And so what, what I try to do is say to the team, and this goes for all of us, not just myself as the manager, but the, the designers themselves as well, have opinions. Let's define first and foremost, who is responsible for this work? If someone's presenting something or if I've given them a task, the team knows this person is the decider. They are the ultimate yes or no. Mm-hmm. Now, as a manager, this has been a learning place for me because sometimes I'll see designs or ideas that I don't agree with, but I've explicitly made it clear, this is you as the designer, you own this and you do not have to agree with me and we will ship and build what you want, even if I say, I don't like this. Now, why is that? Why is that okay? Why is it okay for the designer to potentially be wrong here? One is, again, it goes to learning for the Mm -hmm. team. We will all learn together if it is wrong. And if it's right, we'll also learn because we'll learn that, uh, you know, Tanner disagreed and he was wrong in this case about his opinion. And here's why, like we've seen the data or we've seen the responses or something. 
But I think more importantly is I want the team to feel like decision makers. And the best way to make any decision is to have information. Mm -hmm. And those differing opinions, those healthy debates that we have as a team, it's up to the decider to decide what to listen to and what not to listen to. And Mm -hmm. they can have that accountability, right? That responsibility for the work based on those perspectives. Yeah. And in, 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 um, healthy cultures, you can have debate and discussion and opinions and it's, you know, if there's an owner, it's feedback, it's feedback and contribution and it's notes. We got that from a, was it Miranda July? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think she talked about uh, having a, having a friend who they'd give it. It wasn't Miranda July. Elizabeth Gilbert. No, it was, uh, I know. Was it Rebecca Solnit? I think. Yes, that's who it was. Yeah. Rebecca Solnit. We, we saw, I think we saw a bunch of people at the same place yeah. at the same theater. Yeah. But yeah. Notes. And the, the idea Somebody. behind notes is that it's not necessarily criticism. It's not necessarily even feedback. It's notes. It's, it's lines in the margins. Yeah. And, and I think, I mean, any, any sort of collaboration when you're getting people's opinions or, um, you know, collaborations can be critiques. They can be, um, you know, design reviews. They can be product reviews. They can be stakeholder meetings. Any of that is something where you're getting input. And there are, you know, generally decision makers and they should be defined. If it's, you know, in a healthy culture and critique, you are just taking everything in and then you are the, you are the owner of your work. If you're in a stakeholder meeting, you might not actually be the, the decider and that's okay. But, you know, there's still the willingness to be wrong. So I think the, we've talked about sort of the value of it. Um, we've talked about creating safe environments. I think, you know, there's something to be said for what do you do? Like, what are the retribution steps when you are wrong? And there's some, um, there's some sort of like, um, a, a personal, non-personal, impersonal ones that are, you know, oh, the project didn't go so well, or, you know, I brought a wrong piece of data. And then there's some personal ones, which are like, we had, you know, a, a heartfelt debate over this. And I, you know, maybe was a little bit strong and I was wrong. And I have to come back to somebody and be like, oh, you were right. I learned from this. Um, can you think of any of examples like that, that you've had to do? Yeah. So, uh, wrapping up the story from the example I gave earlier in this episode where we had shipped something that I was so confident in and it turned out to be false. In this case, it was a relatively small feature, but I was kind of early in the company. I just joined. And I think that as a result of this interaction of being wrong about something I, I felt so confident in, the team kind of eroded our, our trust a little bit, my, sure. my place as an expert. So what did I do? Well, we, we shipped the thing and I took some time to just reflect on it. And then I just messaged some of those same key stakeholders and I said, oh, looks like I got this one wrong. Here's kind of how I approached mm-hmm. this initially, how I was thinking about it. Here's the new data that I've since learned. I'm going to try my best to make sure that doesn't happen again. But with anything, I, I, I hopefully I can reserve the, the space mm-hmm. to be wrong again. And I think what that small interaction did, I think it was just a message to, to the team members one-on-one. It helped them see that... I'm not trying to make these decisions that I have confidence in for my own humanity. Like I'm not trying to push Tanner as the one who's always right and the expert. I'm pushing Tanner as someone who gets stuff done and learns when he's wrong. Right. Yeah. And that's so important, especially as leaders to, to show that you can be wrong. Mm -hmm. Like I've, I've done a couple things, um, with my Dropbox team and I, we did some of these with intercom too, of as we're, we're working remotely, like how can we build culture? 
how can we get people together? And I've, I've been really interested in, in creating creative spaces um, for us and, and building community when we're not seeing each other. And so I've, I've done experiments on Slack, one of which was, um, I called it Figma dailies. And we, I'd give a word prompt every morning and, you know, anybody who wanted to could sort of to warm up their, their design skills in the day would, you know, create a, a 10 by 10 illustration in Figma that represented that word. Um, and so, you know, one example was digger. And so then I, you know, sketched a pair of clam diggers, which are pants that sort of go below your knees. And someone else uh, had, a, you know, a truck that was like a digger. And so just something that was really fun. And af- after a couple of weeks, the engagement completely died out. And so here I am, like, given all this hype to this thing we're going to do and build community. And all I have to say is, which I did, hey, should we kill this? It was an experiment and I was wrong. Like, I've learned that this isn't going to work. And then I get responses that say, oh, no, let's try something else. Like, we've got the community piece. We just don't have the activity piece. Um, Or, you know what? Kill it. Like, it's a waste of our time. And so, like, I just, none of this is personal. Like, I just have, I I go back to my objective and I say, did we reach that? No, we didn't. Cool. Like, and I have no, you know, I can, I have no, like, ego attached to it. I also, like, don't want to waste people's time. We all know we have a thousand Slack channels if you're working in a company that uses Slack. And so maybe I just, there's a benefit to creating community other voices by getting rid of this. And I think that's, that's true with most of our, um, most times we're wrong, whether it's like, you know, something that's interpersonal that you have to resolve, which yeah, sometimes we have coworkers we don't get along with. And that might be because you have different values. I've had, you know, multiple, multiple circumstances across my career where a partner of mine values something else. One example is, um, I think I've talked about this before, but, you know, I had a a teammate who really wanted to lower the contrast of, you know, words or type on, on background. And I, I really, because of, you know, usability things wanted to make them a higher contrast because the, I believe that the user group we were looking for needed higher contrast. He believed that we wanted to have really, you know, delicate defined design systems, different values. One was sort of an aesthetic craft. That was his mine was really about usability. Were any of us wrong? I don't know. Like it's so subjective, you can't go into it. But we had so many debates, and so sometimes we had to come together and like say, you know, maybe not I was wrong, but you know, I wasn't necessarily right. And so therefore, and, and he and I like resolved this by getting into our values and understanding that we resolved different things. But sometimes there's some conversations that can be uncovered when you when you end up being wrong, or someone feels like they're wrong, or feels like you're wrong that you can actually get down to like, what was the objective and are we achieving that objective? I think that is immensely valuable and yet we don't talk about it enough. Uh, Like for example, one thing, well, backtracking just slightly, but I think this is also relevant to what you just said. There are some things that you, as a team, as a a coworker, as a peer, as a partner, you should not try to debate. Uh, it's just not worth the time or the energy. Oh, I'm interested in this. Well, how do you how do teams define these things? It's it's through alignment of values and principles. Mm. So, for example, if you don't if you're on a team, it can be a team of two, it can be a team of forty, whatever it is. If you have not had a conversation around what you value, you're going to have a lot of debates about things that may not matter. So, for example, you could come together as a team and say, "We really care about the accessibility of what we make." In which case, in your example, Jasmine, of the visual aesthetic versus accessibility, 
that's kind of a no-go because you as a team have already decided up front that accessibility comes first as an example. And so, uh, you know, that, that debate goes out the window. There is no debate there. The team has already agreed on what that means or, you know, should. Yeah. And that frees up the team to focus on things that might be more important, such as like, is this the right product feature to be building in the first place? What are yeah. the measurements, those kind of things? Yeah. And I think you're right. Like, I don't know. I mean, if, if, if y'all who are listening are working in teams that have design principles, I have yet to see a design team use principles really, really well. And I think there's like, I, I, I always get this one wrong, but the, the, I can get the sentiment of it. We had one at Intercom that was sort of like simple by default, but complex under the hood or something like that. And the, the, the sentiment of that was, you know, we're going to build really flexible, comprehensive products that work for all different use cases and all different customer segments. But when it's delivered to them in the UI, you know, they'll have control over it, but we're not going to deliver all of that complexity. We're going to deliver sort of streamlined, simplified experiences. And so the idea was not, you know, if we were having a debate on if we should, you know, provide all of the customizable controls up front, we should have been working towards this idea of templates. Like, let's start you with something and then you can get to that complexity later. And I, you know, I still think, for principles, like I, I never saw those enter into to critique discussions like I would have liked to, because I think principles sort of get beyond that. You know, what if the, the, the low contrast was still accessible and the high contrast was still accessible and that wasn't even a debate. What would we say? Would we say this in, this was a, an educational case. Would, would we be say, flexible for the classroom or something like that was it would there be a principle that we could have actually brought in and said even though we're both right and we both have different values how do we make that decision and that's when that's where that's the role that principles play and that's all it also comes back to the decider like who who is the decider you have these differing opinions well who's responsible for the work at the end of the day yeah they're the decider right yep um so i really quickly want to touch on principles because i agree with you i haven't been part of a team or a culture that really utilizes as well. It's something that I'm hoping to do differently on my own team. And I think the the core here is again to have shared values so that you as a team can move faster and not have to worry about being wrong about certain things. And so talking about those principles at the start of every single critique, using that language in your reviews, using that language in your meetings. Anytime a new person joins the team, the team gets together and talks about what those principles are and how they came about. It was a lot easier when we were in offices and they were like yeah. posted on the wall. Well, I always ignored those posters. Tanner. Anyway. Uh, okay. So we're a little bit all over the place, but I think that's okay in typical fashion. We're, we're covering Is it a very... wrong to be all over the place? As he looks up to the right, into uh, the air, into the space. <laughs> well, this is kind of what I want to get into here at the last five minutes of the episode. Two points. One is uh, the black swan, which we'll talk about. And the other is why I think... People need to not strive to be right all the time, nor should they strive to be wrong, but they should seek to be confident. And so I want to talk about those two mm. things. So let's start with the black swan. Do you know what the black swan is? I know the movie. Okay. That's not what I'm talking about. Thanks cool. for calling that out. <laughs> uh, I think the movie came out at the same time as this book. It's a book. Okay. Uh, and I, I apologize. It's a really famous author. I love him to death. I think he's a stat statistician. Uh, I am terrible with names, so I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. Just Google the Black Swan book. And what he says in this book is essentially, well, I might be misremembering, so I might be wrong here, <laughs> being explicit about this. But from what I remember, 
he says that it's it's easier to try to prove yourself wrong than it is to ever try to prove yourself right. So much oh, so I love that. that pursuing, trying to be right is impossible. It's an impossible task that you will never get. However, trying to be wrong is something that you can always prove, right? Ooh, the example good. he gives is of literally black swans. So, you know, long, long ago when we had people uh, exploring the world on ships and things, the common belief was that all swans were white. If you saw a bird and it had like this long neck and it was feathery and it's got this beak and things and it was white, that's a swan. Suddenly discoverers found a swan that was not white. It was black. Mm -hmm. Now, who was wrong? Were they wrong that all swans had to be white? Or were they wrong in in assuming that like you could be any color? Like what's yeah. right, right? Yeah. So And in, in some ways, like they were right. Like white birds with long necks that, you know, swim are swans. But it, you know, the exclusion of differently colored swans. That's yeah. right. It's swans. Yeah. They're okay. not all white. And so the, what he kind of talks about in this book, and I really would recommend it to anyone, the black swan. Uh, what he says is that if discoverers had gone out and said, um, swans don't have to be white. Well, actually, how am I, how am I wording this? <laughs> it's, it's been a long day already. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He's essentially saying that that you're, you're never going to prove yourself right. You can't go out into the world and say all swans are white. Like they will never like because I mean. How do you prove that? Yeah. How, yeah. how do you prove that, that all. That a pink swan. Right, doesn't now exist. Now we're like into flamingos. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like it'll never exist. Like well, a blue. Yeah. How do you know that? Right. But what you can say is that swans will never grow tires. Okay. That might be a little <laughs> more realistic. So you, you try to prove yourself wrong in these things. And statistically speaking, you're going to be right. Okay. Anyway, we're running out of time here, so I want to kind of wrap this up. Uh, read that book if you want to dive more into that concept. I think it's really, really true. Uh, and it's the same with our work that we do as designers. When you build something, you shouldn't be like, ah, this is right. This is the winning solution. Yeah. And one thing that's just sort of floating in my mind right now is like, you know, rather than if you don't know how to be wrong or to be right, maybe the best thing to start with is being a contributor. Exactly. Like having an opinion. Yes. Like it doesn't have, you don't have to evaluate it where, whether it's right or it's wrong. And I think I've mentioned this before, but I remember when I was a, a, you know, sort of like just starting out in the UX world and I was the designer, you know, the, the, one of the two designers on a project with a client at the agency I was working at. And we were um, in client meetings and just with this wonderful family owned business. And they would ask me what I thought in a meeting. And I just, I didn't learn until later that I'm somebody who needs a little bit of time to process. And so one of my mentors at the time had said, you know, Hey Jasmine, it's okay. Like you can say, I need time to process, but just give them one thing, give them one little thing that's on your mind. And so I was learning how to be a contributor. I knew I couldn't like solve anything for them. I didn't know if I was right. I didn't know if I was wrong, but learning to just have a perspective, that's the first step. And I think building confidence is something that comes with multiple times of having perspective and, you know, being right or wrong, or it comes after, you know, having some wins and having some misses and learning from those. But I think the very, very first step is to contribute. I could not agree more with you. I think that's exactly it. So when we talk about this podcast, for example, we talk about the writing that I do, the things I build, the things we tweet, the, the conversations we have as partners, the things we decide define as metrics, all these things. What we're doing is not saying this is the way, this is right, this is the truth. Because as I mentioned a second ago, we can't actually say that. 
But what we can say is this is one piece of information that we're adding to the larger pool of information that people listening to this have, people in the conversation have. Mm-hmm. And that's something they may not have had before. And that alone is value. Yes. If it's wrong, that's okay. And here's what yes. I always say about my own personal writing on my blog. I don't write to be right. I write to put information in your head. Mm-hmm. And at the very least, that has made an impact. Because if it's wrong, at least now you've had that perspective. You thought about it from that angle, right? Yeah, and I, I think this is actually the starting version of Strong Opinions Loosely Held is when people are contributing. And those are healthy, those tend to be healthy environments where people have opinions and can discuss them and can be willing to be wrong. And I like to I always like to think of like when we're contributing information, we're starting to just fill out a space. Um, filling it out with knowledge, filling it out with insight, filling it out with directions. And that provides really rich ground by which to make decisions and to choose direction. Um, And so everyone contributing, and I think this actually goes back to why we need diverse teams. Um, We, you know, we want to, we want to hire, make sure we're hiring people who are um, in groups that have been marginalized, marginalized and, you know, gender diversity and all that good stuff to make sure everybody has equal opportunity. But we also want to do so so we have rich diversity of thought. And just as a side note, that you know, diversity of thought is not the kind of diversity we talk about. But I, I do think that's really important. And so if we are bringing people with different opinions together that can have debate and discussion, we tend to build better products for it because we're creating that sort of rich ground for debate, discussion, and progress. Right. You don't know what you don't know. And the way you're going to learn what you don't know is by bringing in those other bits of information and being wrong. And what do you do when you're wrong? Well, first you should acknowledge it. Don't try to ignore it. Uh, Acknowledge it as openly as appropriate and then go be wrong again. Yeah. Love it. Right. Until next week. See ya. 